Welcome back to another week of fantasy football with Gumbo. My name is Ja, and I'm here to go ahead and provide you guys with some of the best fantasy football tips, tricks, and advice uh, within our community that we love so much. I want to go ahead and spend this week talking about some of the dogs from week four. I want also, I want to also, you know, talk about some guys who have not performed up to what we thought they could, and I think it's time that we start to become honest about it. But I want to go ahead and start this week's podcast off with a certain quarterback who I've been kind of battling, uh, battling a lot of people about, and that's Trevor Lawrence, quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the reason I want to start with Trevor Lawrence this week is because I think it's time that we have an honest conversation in America. I think it's time. Trevor Lawrence came into the league as the number one overall draft pick to the Jaguars. And you know what I'm saying? Like the first year was kind of a, it was a weird year. Right, like he had Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer was getting bitches at the club instead of being with the team on the plane. Trevor Lawrence didn't like that. He didn't play super well, and they didn't have a ton of weapons on that offense. And so year two comes around, and he gets Peterson. Peterson's cool. Like he's a quarterback guru. He's going to go ahead and make him better. It's going to be something like Nick Foles. It'll be Nick Foles times two because Nick Foles was amazing in Philadelphia, and that means Trevor Lawrence has a better prospect, should be amazing in Jacksonville. But he hasn't really been amazing. He's actually been pretty mid this year. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is quarterback 19. Trevor Lawrence is quarterback 19 on the season. So you look at his performance and you kind of want to wonder why. Like, hey, why is this dude not living up to the hype that I probably drafted him? You know, like acknowledging I took Trevor Lawrence with the hope that he could be a QB1 for me at least this year. Right, like even if you didn't expect Trevor Lawrence to break all these records and be better than than a Lamar Jackson, you didn't expect him to be better than a Josh Allen. You knew that he could be a nice low end QB one for you, uh, but thus far he's been a low end QB two, and he hasn't really had that breakout game yet, which I think draws even more attention when you talk about the fact that they brought in Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver one from Atlanta. So, you know, for whatever reason, this offense can't really get rolling yet. And there's a couple things they really do need to fix and they need to attend some mind to, some attention to. And I think the first thing is the offensive line, which has not looked great. Hey, you guys know Juwan Taylor, the right tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, who's been getting a bunch of flags and a bunch of press these last few weeks. Well, Juwan Taylor was the right tackle for Trevor Lawrence back in 2022 and prior to. And he's now longer in he's no longer in Jacksonville. And they replaced him with the Anton Harrison who they drafted, you know, in the NFL draft last season. So the past game has somewhat suffered. As much shit as you want to give Juwan Taylor. Um he was effective in his job, man. Like he helped Trevor Lawrence stay upright. And Trevor Lawrence has been dealing with a lot of pressure. I believe the Jacksonville Jaguars ranked twenty six out of thirty two in terms of offensive line pass protection which that like that's not great and their line is also bad so it's hard for them to get their run game off the ground because they can't drive the defensive line anywhere so i think they're ranked 29th in run protection and the team is bottom half when it comes to just run efficiency when it comes to rush production and anything to do with not passing the football so trevor lawrence has suffered and he's had to kind of as a result tend to more closer to the line of scrimmage throws which is why Evan Ingram who's currently I think the tight end seven in uh, fantasy football right now has been eating like he's been eating he's been getting a lot of targets and a lot of opportunity because what's happening right now against the Jacksonville Jaguars is all that motion shit that they ran last year no longer tricks anyone the entire league had an entire offseason to look at all those motions they do and diagnose what play it is based off of that and I'm not saying the Jaguars didn't have time to go in there and maybe mess mess around with some of that. Uh, they didn't have time to go in there and make some of that look, you know, somewhat different. But at the end of the day, the offense is the offense. Like, how many times can you, how many times can you change what's ultimately the same, right? Like, how many different ways can you make a peanut butter and jelly? So what I'm saying is, I think the offense is somewhat suffered because a lot of Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence was an unknown last year it was the first time we were all seeing it we didn't know what Trevor Lawrence did exceptionally well going into year two of his career last season and we didn't know what Doug Peterson would look like with a new quarterback not named Carson Wentz or Nick Foles 
So ultimately, last year was the first year in which we got to see that Jaguars offense do what they did. But this is also the first year in which the league has had time to study the film, to identify what Doug Peterson is and what this offense truly does. And you have to take into account that after the Eagles won that Super Bowl and Doug Peterson kind of got on the map, he had a few years in which that offense just did not look good. That's ultimately the reason why he was pushed out of town in Philadelphia. And that's also ultimately the reason why Carson Wentz, um, you know, kind of went down the track that his career did because he was at one point the number two overall pick. So I'm not saying that Doug Peterson is not an offensive minded coach. I'm not saying that he doesn't entirely know what he's doing, uh, but we've seen it prior to in his career in which, you know, after he gets put on the map by year two, year three, year four of his success, we start to see the league kind of, you know, um, neutralize it to say it to, 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 to say it the best. And ultimately, long story less long, Trevor Lawrence seems to be a victim of that somewhat because even though they added a wide receiver one from Atlanta in Calvin Ridley, that offense just cannot get going. They, I believe, lead the NFL in drop passes. They can't get a run game established. Trevor Lawrence ranks 24th in air yards per attempt which means there's 23 other quarterbacks who are pushing the ball downfield, um, you know, more often than Trevor Lawrence is. When you really look at Trevor Lawrence's stats this year, there's a lot of work that's closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, his rushing efficiency is through the roof for him. He's a top 10 rusher. He's number seven amongst quarterbacks in carries per game. He's number six in red zone carries. But when you look at the efficiency, it's just not there. He's 24th in yards per attempt. He's 26th in fantasy points per dropback, which is an advanced metric provided by our guys. A player profiler. Shout out. Player profiler. And his passing productivity is kind of middle of the road. I mean, he's 13th in passing yards. He's 16th in passing touchdowns. He only has four passing touchdowns in four games. The dude's good for a pick and a touchdown per game, and that's with Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, and Travis Etienne. Don't forget about Zay Jones. I think ultimately what's happening with this team is that a lot of teams are playing the pass. They're dropping two, three deep. They're playing cover two, cover three zone. They're forcing Trevor Lawrence to go ahead and process the field. And that's one issue that I always kind of had with Trevor Lawrence. This may sound crazy, and you're going to think I'm an idiot, but let's really just sit down and think about it. In college, Trevor Lawrence played for Clemson, and he was a dog. They were successful. But one thing I really question with the guy is I don't know how well he processes the field. And when I say processes the field, I don't know. And, like, I may be an idiot. I'm sure there's a quarterback guru out there who just does nothing. But look at a film that can prove me wrong. But I, when I watch the Jaguars, it just seems like a lot of mistakes. It really does. Like if we're really just being honest and if we just take out what the draft type was and how much draft capital was spent to get this guy, if we take out all the analysis that came with Trevor Lawrence prior to his first snap in the NFL and we just base him based off of his snaps in the NFL, that's the spectrum we're going to go ahead and grade him on. Dude doesn't look like an elite processor. He has great size. He has great physical attributes. And, you know, he has a pretty strong arm that he can push down the field. But when it comes to just decision making, when it comes to scanning the field, when it comes to just doing the right thing, people compare him to Peyton Manning, who, you know, in Peyton Manning's first year, year and a half, he was somewhat reckless. But, you know, as he kind of got into year two, later in the year two, as he got into year three, he became well-renowned as one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league because of the way that he could pre-diagnose what the defense was going to do based off the pre-snap look. Trevor Lawrence in year three does not seem to process the field particularly well. He has Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, Zay Jones. He arguably has one of the top two or three passing cores. I think the only team that really fucks with his passing core might be the Bengals because of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Maybe the Seahawks with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. 
But I got to say that the Jaguars got to be competing, you know, for a top three spot amongst wide receiver and receiver rooms. But ultimately, for whatever reason, Trevor Lawrence can't find his guys downfield. And I kind of somewhat attribute that to what I was talking about earlier. And that defenses are playing a lot more shell coverage. They're playing back off the line of scrimmage. They're daring them to run the ball. They're playing against the pass. And that's forcing Trevor Lawrence to go ahead and give more of these dink and dunks, you know, off to Evan, Evan Ingram. But when I look at even Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk, Christian Kirk is outperforming Calvin Ridley for fantasy purposes because he's just been a more efficient downfield receiver. But Calvin Ridley as a three level guy, like, don't get me wrong. He's a wide receiver three if you play in like 12 team leagues right now. But Calvin Ridley just, and this is something I brought up earlier, but he's just not seeing the volume, I think, that he needs to see in order for him to be a wide receiver one like so many people were predicting. He has 15 catches in four games. Dude's averaging four catches a game. That's wide receiver two at best. He has 38 yards last game against the Falcons. The game before that, he has 40 against the Texans. And the game before that, he has 32 receiving yards in a game that was supposed to be a shootout with the Chiefs. Now, you can blame some of that on Trevor Lawrence. You can blame that on some of the weapons. You can blame that on how the defenses have adjusted to, you know, Peterson's offense and how they've adjusted to all those motions. They now know kind of what's coming at them when they play the Jaguars. But regardless, none of that shit matters because we only care about production in fantasy football. I only care about can you produce. And if all these new situations have arisen this year, after drafting Calvin Ridley, whenever I drafted him in my fantasy league, and these new situations now make it to where Calvin Ridley is no longer going to be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two, he's currently wide receiver 35, I have to trade him. And it's a hard trade because you know he's going to have some great games. You can argue that this offense is just kind of starting to, you know, get their feet in the ground. They're just starting to kind of come together. They're learning each other. But, bro, you didn't really... Like, I get you added a new tackle, and you have a new wide receiver one, so there's some adjustment there. But, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, there's so many weapons on this offense, which is not going away unless there's injuries, and I'm never banking on injuries. Right? That's how you lose in fantasy football, is banking on injuries. So, assuming all goes well, which you should assume, and assuming all guys are available, Calvin Ridley, at his best, is a low-end wide receiver, too. I think he ends this year around maybe wide receiver 20-ish, anywhere between 16 to 22-ish. And that's not bad, but if you drafted Calvin Ridley, a lot of you guys were taking him in the fourth round. And while that's still a wide receiver two return, you can potentially go ahead and get someone who has a higher ceiling, who's more certified, who during the crucial week five, who during the crucial week six and week seven, when you're establishing your team and your record and you're trying to make a playoff push, you can go get a guy who can actually contribute to your team and will remain consistent down the line. And so when I go ahead and talk about those things, you might ask, you know, who who is that? Right. Like, who do those circumstances apply to? And there's a there's a couple of guys. But if I'm truly, you know, let's say I'm 500 so far through the first four weeks. And for whatever reason, I had a big injury and I don't feel comfortable in my team. And so, you know what? I want to go ahead and take a chance. There's a couple guys who I think you could go out there and get for value. And one of them, if you wanted to snag him, I'm not saying it would be cheap, but I like Amari Cooper and the Cleveland Browns offense moving forward. Now, the Cleveland Browns offense is going to go ahead and see a bye in week five, and they're going to go ahead and play the Niners in week six. So the next two weeks are going to be kind of tough because one week he is unplayable, and the next week, he's playing one of the best defenses in the NFL. Even though San Francisco has actually been pretty nice to the past defense. If you play in sleeper, they're a light green matchup. But regardless, Deshaun Watson is going to go ahead and be the heartbeat of this offense. It's no longer Nick Chubb. This offensive line, I worry about a little bit in pass protection because they're built to run the ball. Like these are run blocking offensive linemen. And I worry about what they're going to have to look like if Deshaun Watson has to drop back more often. I think these guys were smart enough to adjust. I think these guys are smart enough on the Cleveland Browns offensive line to protect. And they're strong enough to protect. 
but I wonder if they regress somewhat with Deshaun Watson dropping back. But this offensive line is just so good to where if they can just slightly adjust to, you know, the new game plan of pass protection and they give Deshaun Watson just an extra second back there, you know, behind the line to not only diagnose defenses, but allow his receivers to get downfield with his, you know, strong arm. I think that could really create situations in which Deshaun Watson is going to have even more explosive plays. And then Amari Cooper is going to have an even, you know, deeper yards per catch. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to go ahead and help stretch the field. Elijah Moore is going to go ahead and eat underneath. David Njoku can be one of those intermediate threats, right? Like if this offensive line can continue to be, you know, one of the best units in the league behind maybe only Philadelphia's offensive line. Like, realistically, maybe they're behind Philly. But moving forward, if they can continue to go ahead and, you know, play at a high level, it's only going to allow Deshaun Watson more time to process, which will make his job easier and will allow him to go ahead and have more deep shots as he allows his receivers to get downfield and make big plays. So Deshaun Watson, who may not complete, you know, uh, 75% of his passes every week, uh, Deshaun Watson, who, you know, you kind of need those big plays from, I think he's going to have opportunities to have those big plays happen with that offensive line and with the shift towards, you know, being a pass heavier offense. Now, this week, the Browns are actually going to be on bye along with the Chargers and Buccaneers, which means that you're going to be missing out on guys like Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, DK Metcalf, Amari Cooper, and one of the hottest pickups on the waiver wire, who I think could, he could step into his offense and start to have production as soon as week five is Michael Wilson. And if you have not already picked him up, I think you need to go ahead and stash Jamison Williams. Let's start with Michael Wilson. Seven targets, seven catches, two touchdowns last week. Michael Wilson, wide receiver for the Cardinals. If you don't know, Michael Wilson was somebody who had a lot of hype coming into the draft. He was somebody who was well-respected. He is currently in the Cardinals offense as the number two receiver behind only Marquise Brown. Their tight ends haven't looked spectacular this year and a Trey McBride nor, a, you know, Zach Ertz. James Conner has been holding it down for that offense in the backfield as the running back. But ultimately, this team needs to pass. And Josh Dobbs isn't a bad passer. Michael Wilson has the potential to go ahead and be the wide receiver one for this team by year end. I could definitely see, you know, Marquise Brown playing the role of like a play action guy. He's going to get his couple attempts down the field as the typical boom or bust threat. But Michael Wilson looks like he has the three level receiver ability to go ahead and catch passes short, medium and down the field. And he also looks like a bigger red zone threat just because of his frame compared to a Marquise I'm Marquise Brown. Man, those two touchdowns were not a mistake last week. He's someone that I think you should have had your eye on in Dynasty drafts. He's a 6'2", 213 wide receiver who I would probably guess runs like 4'5", flat, 40. And once again, he's a three-level receiver. He gets in and out of his cuts pretty swiftly. He's a strong enough, big enough build to go ahead and be able to... He He's big enough to absorb high target volume. And, you know, Marquise Brown, who's had an injury history in the NFL, he is a smaller guy. Like, I think he can continue to see downfield shots. But especially with the Josh Dobbs, who's a lot more conservative, I think Josh Dobbs might have one pick all year, you know, in the first month of the season. He's Desmond Ritter, but slightly better in that he's not going to put the ball in bad situations. Not too often, at least. He played the Niners last week, and, you know, he had a couple passes that got tipped. But ultimately, Josh Dobbs was relatively impressive, and it kind of came down in the second half to him just, you know, his the Cardinals defense couldn't get the Niners offense off the field. So Josh Dobbs didn't get a lot of time on the field. But ultimately, I think Michael Wilson could be a three-level receiver who's, you know, prone to high target volume, and he's someone that you should be spending fab on. And I love Michael Wilson this week against the Bengals defense. The Bengals are a team that's sucked. The Cardinals are a team that's looking for a come up. Anybody can get it any week. They just beat the Cowboys two weeks ago. And if they could somehow pull out a win against the Bengals in Cincinnati, 
I think it would go ahead and make their head coach look even better as he adjusts to the NFL and as he enters, you know, month two as an NFL coach for the first time. So Jonathan Gannon has a lot on his plate and Michael Wilson is, you know, the first pick of his regime, one of the first receiver picks of his regime. And he has no ties to Rondale Moore, to Marquise Brown, to Zach Ertz. Those guys were just here when he got here. But ultimately, I think Michael Wilson could be the future as a, you know, like a day two pick. He's going to start to get work and they're going to start to see what they have in him. Because I think next offseason, they're going to have to make big decisions with Marquise Brown's contract, with Kyler Murray's contract, and with draft day decisions, you know, and that they have a few first round draft picks. Something to watch out for. And then Jamison Williams. Jamison fucking Williams might be a problem. And he might be a league winner. Jamison Williams comes into a Detroit Lions offense that currently has a strong run game headed by David Montgomery. It has a short to intermediate pass catcher in Jameer Gibbs who can come out of the backfield. Its best field stretcher is Amon Ross St. Brown who can, you know, naturally, you know, catch deep passes. But ideally, you'd like to see him work like the range of the field that's in between the hashes, maybe anywhere between 10 to 15 you know, yards. Jamison Williams is what opens up this entire fucking offense for Detroit. When you have a Sam Laporta, a tight end who's having an amazing year, who can work underneath. When you have a Monroe St. Brown, who's a three-level receiver, and we wouldn't mind seeing him work underneath. When you have a Josh Reynolds, when you're talking about Jameer Gibbs coming out of the backfield, when you talk about having a strong offensive line that can hold up and pass protection, Ladies and gentlemen, we might have magic. Jamison Williams having the ability to get down the field, catching a pass from Jared Goff, who has notoriously throughout his career been a great deep ball passer. And he has weapons that benefit from him stretching the field. That's all this motherfucker's going to do. This dude is going to be a pure field stretcher. And the thing about pure field stretchers is that they don't need to be super efficient on high target volume, for fantasy at least. Because one big catch, one 40-yard touchdown, if he gets a couple 25-yard catches down the field throughout, you know, the four quarters of football, he's done his job. He's done exactly what you expected him to do. And the weeks in which he gets a touchdown, he's going to be a game-breaker. So you combine the fact that Jared Goff is a great downfield passer. They have the offensive line who's going to be able to hold up to allow their receivers to get downfield and allow Jared Goff to toss the ball up. He has a breakout tight end. We know Dan Campbell loves his tight ends. But we have a breakout tight end who works well underneath. You have Jameer Gibbs, who's going to be a pass catching specialist at the running back position that's coming out of the backfield. And then you have a Monroe St. Brown who's going to go ahead and draw coverage to his side of the field because of his track record. This all sets up for Jamison Williams, who was a first round pick at wide receiver, who's a speed demon to potentially step into an offense that's humming and he can open this whole thing up and the Lions can really become a playoff contending maybe even more than that you know contention team so I think that Jamison Williams is going to have this I don't know I, I know I'm talking him up and I know I'm hyping him up but I don't know if I'm playing him week five if I have options if you don't have options fine throw him in your flags and see what happens but if I do have better options this week and I'm not hit by, you know, buys, and this is a heavy bye week for wide receivers. Once again, we're talking about missing Mike Evans. We're not going to have Chris Godwin. There's no Amari Cooper this week. There's no DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett, our usual, you know, um, deep pass game guy is not going to be there. And then you also have the Chargers. So there's no Keenan Allen. There's no Josh Palmer. You probably stretch then for wide receivers if you have a really good one. I think Michael Wilson is better for you if you just need a week five fill-in. And the more I think about it, the more I want to lean more towards Michael Wilson just because I think he's going to be a target volume guy. And those guys are guys that I trust. But Jamison Williams over the top and an offense that's flowing and an offense that's going to be competing all year long. He's going into the perfect situation. It's, it's like Devin A. Chain going to Miami. And we knew that Miami liked speed. And now they have another speedy guy in the backfield who's actually 
you know, tougher between the tackles and between the guards than we maybe maybe give him credit for. Right? Like Devin A. Chain's an all around running back, but he just happens to have track speed, which really helps him in this Miami offense and is part of the reason why he's RB three on the season. Jamison Williams is stepping into one of those situations in which he's the perfect fit in an, in an offense that's flowing, in an offense that has a veteran quarterback, in an offense with a great offensive line that'll hold up so he can get downfield and create those, you know, big plays. I like JMO, man. And so Michael Wilson and Jamison Williams are two of the guys that I'm spending big fab on this week. I'm willing to go ahead and say I'm spending 15% of my fab on either one of those guys. We're starting to get deeper into the season as we approach weeks five, week six. This is the last opportunity that you're going to get to go ahead and grab those dudes who can make season long, you know, waves on your team at a high level. Because I think after you get past week six, you start to get to the middle of October, that waiver wire dries up and you get a bunch of guys who are only going to be one, two week plays at best. You kind of need those waiver pickups in weeks three, four, five, and six to go ahead and snag those guys who are going to return the most value for your team. Because not only are they going to be good for the upcoming week or two, but they're going to be on your team for the rest of the season. And they have season-long upside. And if you have season-long upside and you now see a five to ten point boost in your flex, because previously you were starting Terrace Marshall... Maybe you have a JMO or a Michael Wilson who can step in. Michael Wilson's a wide receiver 26 on the fantasy football season so far. And you're basically putting a wide receiver two, wide receiver three into your flex spot. And now you're seeing, an, you know, on average, five, six, seven more points in that flex spot, which is big. It's huge. It's great for your fantasy team. So last week I talked about how a lot of people were not trading Jamar Chase for Puka Nakua 1v1. Right, like a lot of people were not willing to give you Jamar Chase for Puka and Nakua just straight up. That was not gonna happen. But after, you know, this last week in which the Bengals got stomped, they looked really bad against the Titans. Joe Burrow is now going into week five and he's been struggling more than we've seen him struggle throughout his entire NFL career. And Jamar Chase has obviously come you know, we saw from that video clip that's now gone viral. He ain't happy. I think that your Jamar Chase owners within your league might be a little nervous right now. And here's what I'll say. Puka Nakua, who just had a really big week against the Indianapolis Colts. He has the viral moment now of him going back to his locker room, celebrating with his guys. He had a huge week. He got his first touchdown. But Cooper Cup is on the mend. He's on the return. He might be returning to practice. Sooner than later. And while I personally think that he will not play in week five, or even if he does play, he's no more than a decoy. I think he's back by week six or week seven. And listen, you might have to give up a week of Puka, like true wide receiver one Puka numbers. But I would consider trading Puka Nakua for Jamar Chase. And the reason I say that is because when Cooper Cup comes back, Cooper Cup is not going to be a complimentary player. He may not be the same old Cooper Cup that we know and love and that won the Triple Crown, but he's not going to be a scrub by any means if he's healthy. And that's a that's a qualifier. If he is healthy, he won't be a scrub. But if Cooper Cup comes back into this offense, I think that he's splitting wide receiver one duties with Puka. And that's the best case for, you know, Mr. Mr. Nakua. But ultimately, Jamar Chase is still going to be a target hog. T. Higgins just had a rib fracture. We don't know if he's going to miss time. But even if he plays, he's not going to be a he's not going to be a very voluminous, you know, wide receiver in terms of targets. Look, Jamar Chase is going to be the alpha on this offense. Joe Mixon is Joe Mixon. He's been declining for the last two or three years. Tyler Boyd is a nice complimentary weapon. They'll probably, you know, find somebody who can play like that Michael Thomas role that they used to have. But long story less long, Jamar Chase is going to be a target hog, and he might be seeing north of 10 targets rest of season just so Joe Burrow can make the guy happy, get him out of his ear, and he honestly gives them the best chance to be competitive. Right? Like, the Bengals are in a situation in which if they... I don't even want to say it, but if they keep going down this road, they're going to be picking in, like, the top five, seven picks. I get Burrow has the calf injury, but I think that he's going to go ahead and start to integrate Jamar Chase 
a little bit more. And Jamar Chase getting 10 to 12 targets a game from Joe Burrow. I don't care if it's 70% Joe Burrow. I think week six moving forward, he gets closer to Puka Nagua in terms of receptions. And I think that Jamar Chase can continue to provide you wide receiver one value. He's going to get to wide receiver one status at some point this season. He's he's just too good to finish as like a wide receiver three, wide receiver four, whatever it might be. I think it's the thing of it's starting slow. And if you drafted Jamar and if you drafted Joe, whether you drafted them individually or you, you know, you combo them and you, you stacked them, your team's not doing very well because your first round pick and your fourth round quarterback are not performing. They're way underperforming. Joe Burrow's like quarterback 31 right now. And so when it comes to Jamar Chase, I think this is the excellent buy low opportunity and you might have to just get him on your team and he might have to suck this next week. Like that really is what could happen. I think he's going to be better than a lot of people are giving him credit, you know, for being. But ultimately, I think down the stretch, at some point, Jamar Chase is going to be Jamar Chase. And if you have Jamar Chase, like Pukunakua is great and he's awesome and he's a wide receiver one right now. But I'm telling you that once Cooper Cup gets healthy and once Cooper Cup gets into this offense, assuming Sean McVay doesn't trade Cooper Cup to the Panthers, because word on the street is the Panthers need a wide receiver one. But if Cooper Cup stays on this offense, I think he's ultimately going to go ahead and share wide receiver one responsibilities with Puka Nakua. And that's a best case for Puka. That's best case for Puka. I'm somebody who has Puka in a few different leagues. And as much as I love him, I'm trying to get him off my team right now. I'm trying to trade him for a wide receiver one. I love Puka. I love the story. I love that Matthew Stafford has given him his targets. But even if he sees a 30 to 40% target regression, right? Like at best, he's maybe a wide receiver too most weeks. He's he, The name of his game is volume. Like he's not an exceptional athlete. He's one of those like textbook guys who he's in the right place at the right time and he gets a ton of volume, so it adds up. But if you take away the volume, you're taking away a superpower. And Jamar Chase is always, always, always going to get the volume that is never a question ever at some point joe burrow is going to get healthy it's been a month of this calf injury i would assume he's closer to healthier than you know he's closer to hurt but jamar chase is going to get his wide receiver one touches his volume his targets and if your team is in a good spot I mean, why not invest in the Jamari Chase who can pay dividends for you down the road? And ultimately, if you're a team that's 4-0, 3-1, you have a winning record. Jamari Chase might beat somebody who can put you over the top down the stretch run, you know, of fantasy football in a few weeks. But if you feel comfortable with Puka Nakua, won't blame you. Won't fault you. You're not a dumbass if you keep him. More than likely, you paid fab for him or you got him at the end of your drafts. And you know what? At this point, Puka Nakua, even if he turns into a wide receiver three or a wide receiver two, shit, you got him at the end of the draft or you paid, you know, 10, 15, 20 bucks fab for him. So if you get a wide receiver two or three with fab spent on him, it's a productive return, right? You got what you paid for, if not more, because that's hard to accomplish. And so ultimately, long story less long, if you can get a Jamar Chase, go ahead and do it. If you can go ahead and keep Puka Nakua and you feel confident about it, don't feel like a dumbass. You have every right to. My personal take on it would be to go ahead and get a wide receiver one who solidified. But that's just me. Quarterbacks going into week five that are available on waiver wire because we have a couple guys like Justin Herbert. Sean Watson, Geno Smith, and Baker Mayfield. All on by going into week five. And a couple guys who are available moving forward are going to be Matthew Stafford. Uh, I believe Matthew Stafford currently is owned in only 46% of leagues. He's currently the quarterback 18. He's been kind of shaky. He has a hip bruise apparently, even though he is expected to play in week five. So it's a hip bruise. It's something that Matthew Stafford, being the tough guy that he is, will likely play through. 
Uh, but he plays the Philadelphia Eagles defense, which, look, it's a good defense. And it's a defense you should not take for granted and you should not take lightly. But Matthew Stafford is still, you know, a solid QB2 for you. But this week against the Eagles, he actually has a really good matchup because the Eagles have been terrible against the pass defense or in terms of pass defense this year. Sam Howell last week actually had 40 yards through the rushing game and 290 yards through the passing game, completing 29 of his 41 attempts with a touchdown and zero interceptions. So Matthew Stafford with a better arm, he's probably going to take more risks. And I do think he does get an interception against. I think Matthew Stafford has an interception against the Philadelphia Eagles pass defense this week because Matthew Stafford takes more shots. But in the case that Cooper Cup is back and Cooper Cup is playing and Cooper Cup is even at worst a decoy, I think it's going to open up this past game a lot for Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams. And I think that, you know, Sean McVay has gone into this game and he has a strategy. He has a game plan. This could maybe be a heavy Kyron Williams game. They'll run first to open up the pass. But ultimately, I do think that Matthew Stafford is coming to this game to play and to play well. And I think that this is a matchup that the Los Angeles Rams have had circled on their on their calendar all offseason. And so I guess you can call this the emotional approach. But I do think that Matthew Stafford steps up. He has a pretty cool game against the Eagles. I'm not saying he's going to be like a top five, top six quarterback. But if he goes ahead and he gets you 18 to 20 points, especially if you play with five or four point, you know, passing touchdowns, right? Like that's pretty, that's pretty productive. I think that this week, Matthew Stafford could potentially hit 300 yards like he has in three of the last four. I think he could get two touchdowns through the air. Right. So if you play in four point passing touchdown leagues, we're already talking about 300 yards, two touchdowns. That's, you know, 20 points. If you do a bonus for 300 yards, now that's 21 or 22. Let's say he has an interception. Right. You bring that back down to 20. So let's say he scores anywhere from 18 to 23, 24 points. That's a pretty good week for a streamer quarterback. Right. Like you can't really be mad at that. And even if he does throw an extra pick and let's say he does have a lot of volume this week or let's say he does, you know, open up the pass game with efficient runs and he can, you know, boom Puka Nakua for eight to nine to ten receptions and maybe Cooper Cup gets involved and maybe Tyler Higby gets involved and maybe Tutu Atwell has a big catch down the field, right? Then, you know, Stafford's prone to go ahead and get you anywhere between 250 to 350 yards should get a couple touchdowns even if one is in garbage time and hopefully if he doesn't go like a wire or haywire with the fucking interceptions and the turnovers then he should be a startable asset for you the eagles have been pretty weak against the pass defense like i said sam howell scored 21 against them last week and matthew stafford who may not have a terry mclaurin and a Jahan dotson i still think he's a good enough quarterback to push the ball to get the green flag to throw it often and I think that Matthew Stafford can go out there and be a uh, viable streamer for you if you're missing out on, a, you know, like a Justin Herbert or a Geno Smith or one of those guys who, you know, might have been your QB one, um, you know, going into the week five bye. You know what? I guess while we're here, let's go ahead and talk about let's talk about a different position that doesn't get as much recognition in fantasy. Uh, but let's talk about tight ends because I want to go ahead and get into uh, Kyle Pitts. Tight end for the Atlanta Falcons, who has been pretty disappointing for the last two years now of his NFL career. So a lot of you guys who have reinvested into Kyle Pitts for whatever stupid fucking reason, you're angry. You're not happy. He hasn't really delivered what you thought he would deliver. And right now, Kyle Pitts ranks as the tight end 29. 29 in fantasy football. Do you know how fucking hard it is to be the 29th best tight end in fantasy football? Like, do you know what you got to do to do that? In a position that doesn't see a lot of volume, these guys don't have very many great days outside of a Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and insert the, you know, TJ Hawkinson occasionally. 
Kyle Pitts is the tight end 29. And on the season, my guy has 11 catches for, you know, about 115, 120 yards. It's bad, dude. And I don't know where he gets better. I just don't. Listen, Kyle Pitts is in an offense that's a smash mouth, run the ball offense. This offense is centered around ball control. And we want to go ahead and have the ball longer than you. Right? We want to control this game. That's what Arthur Smith is all about. And Jonu Smith is a tight end who's a better blocker than Kyle Pitts, which gets some style points with Arthur Smith and the staff. But he's actually a viable receiver who is outpacing Kyle Pitts in terms of fantasy production. Like, Janu Smith is the 10th best tight end in fantasy football. Kyle Pitts is 29th. There's 19 tight ends in between them in terms of production. Dog, Janu Smith is the preferred target. And he just fits the scheme better because he's a 6'3", 248 tight end who can block extremely well. He's pretty strong and he can flank out and catch passes. Kyle Pitts is basically just an extra receiver and the Falcons receivers don't get work as it is. Drake London's like their number one target. You know how we feel about Drake London. Even after his touchdown in week four, Drake London is currently the wide receiver 51 in fantasy football. Drake London is the wide receiver 51 in fantasy football. And he's like their target guy. He's the guy who actually sees pass work consistently. Kyle Pitts isn't going to make some massive improvement this year, guys. And I'm sorry to be the one to deliver the news to you. It's just not a part of the offense. The offense is 500. They're fighting for their life. And when you fight for your life, you use the moves that you know. You use the moves that you know. You use what you're comfortable with. And Jonu Smith is your classic tight end blocker who can flank out and catch a pass. Has pretty soft hands for a tight end who does that work. And Kyle Pitts is lining up as the second or third best receiver or the second or third receiver option on most routes, which already isn't going to get attention in the Desmond Ritter led offense it's sad it's over it's over and the best case for Kyle Pitts moving forward in dynasty is that you hope that he gets a new quarterback next year which the last three years the Falcons have had top 10 draft picks and they have refused to draft the quarterback in all three drafts which means that they're they're comfortable running what they run they just got the gem of the offense last year, you know, or last draft, and B. John Robinson, Tyler Algier is playing a role, and their offense and their offensive linemen are drafted because they're great in run protection, which means now you have draft cap within the offensive line, and you have free agency money spent on the offensive line, and you purposefully constructed this offensive line to be great at run blocking. Once you do that, you're committing to something. You can't just throw these guys in pass pro and expect the same level of production, which, you know, effectively makes your team worse when you try to do something else. This team is built on ball control, and Kyle Pitts, is he's just not a fit in this offense. And so the only out on the Kyle Pitts train is to hope that he gets traded or to hope that they go out and they get some quarterback who's miles better than Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter. Right? Because the last time that Kyle Pitts was good, he had Matt Ryan, a pocket passer who spreads the ball, who reads defenses really well, who sits in the pocket, who dissects you through the pass game. That's what Kyle Pitts needs for him to be productive and to return to having a thousand yard season. And I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know. I can't promise you that. But what I can tell you is that he's not worth the investment this year. And if you're a rebuilding team in Dynasty, you get him the fuck off your team off of nothing but name value. And maybe you go out there and you get a guy who, you know, may not be a top-end tight end. He may not be a top-end receiver. But at this point, if you can get value for Kyle Pitts, you got to go out there and do it because at this point, he's droppable. He's droppable. Fuck the name value. If his name was Joe Schmidt, if Kyle Pitt's name was 
Sean Paul, you wouldn't draft him with the same regards that you draft him with now. You're drafting him, keeping in the back of your mind that he's a top 10 NFL draft pick. But Arthur Smith don't give a fuck about that. He don't. He don't care. Kyle Kyle Pitts cannot block the way Arthur Smith needs him to block. And he's had a longer time to show that compared to a Bijan or a Drake London. It is what it is, dog. It's over. You're not getting production out of this guy this year. And so some guys that I'm looking at on the waiver wires to potentially replace Kyle Pitts... I'm picking up Jonu Smith, who's available in a lot of leagues. He's actually only owned in 2% of leagues, which is crazy. Uh, but go fucking pick up Jonu Smith and start him over Kyle Pitts at this point, man. It's over. Uh, Jonu Smith is a guy I'm looking at. I like Tyler Conklin a little bit more. If Zach Wilson does start to pick up, which we're going to go ahead and talk about. But if Zach Wilson does start to pick up, I do think that Tyler Conklin works as a safety blanket for Zach Wilson. And he could go out there and, you know what I'm saying, like get him a few catches. Now, Tyler Conklin last week against the Chiefs had four catches for 58 yards. Uh, the week before against, uh, you know, a New England Patriots defense, that's pretty good. He still had three catches. Tyler Conklin is one of those guys who's going to get you a handful of catches every game, right? Like week two against Dallas, he had five catches. He gets these, he gets a high volume of targets for a tight end, but... He just doesn't like they're they're tight end targets, so they're not down the field. They're eight to ten yards, you know, up the field. He's averaging somewhere around ten to eleven yards per catch over the last three weeks. So like Tyler Conklin is someone that I like. I think he gets volume. I think Zach Wilson isn't spectacular. But I mean, in these desperate weeks as you start to, you know, approach the bye season. Against Denver next week, I actually think he has a good game because the Denver defense is one of the worst in the NFL. They gave up 70 to the Miami Dolphins and then gave up 28 to the to the Chicago Bears. So week five could be a game in which Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson connect for a touchdown. Tyler Conklin gets his work in. Week six against the Eagles defense. The Eagles defense is pretty soft against the pass, the pass attack. And that might be what the Jets are forced to do because it's hard to run on the Philadelphia Eagles and that D-line. But uh, I think the Wilsons could pop out week six. Week seven, Zach Wilson and the Jets are on a bye. But the next two weeks, if you have really serious, you know, stream streamers that are needed, if you have big players on bye, once again, like a Justin Herbert, if you have guys on bye, you know, like uh, David and Joku. Why not go ahead and plug in a Zach Wilson or a Tyler Conklin? Especially after what Zach Wilson showed us he can do when they let him loose against the Kansas City Chiefs. The dude has arm talent like they told us a million times on the broadcast. But it's really just a thing of this offense is tailored towards Aaron Rodgers. And I think that this, you know, coordinated this coordinator and the staff behind Nathaniel Hackett are starting to realize they might have to change some things for Zach Wilson. They might have to go down the field a little bit more than they liked. They might have to go ahead and get this guy in rhythm and pass very often. We saw them pass three times in a row on their first drive against Kansas City. The Jets didn't run one time in the first three plays against Kansas City. Now they went three and out that drive, (laughs) but they want to get Zach Wilson in rhythm because he's now the catalyst of the offense. He's shown that this is what you need to do to make it work, right? Like the, 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 the team put up multiple touchdowns last week, something that they are, they're hard pressed to do most weeks. Now they played a pretty good defense in the Kansas city chiefs defense. Um, but ultimately they went out there and they did show that if you give Zach Wilson the opportunity to get in rhythm, if you strategize the game plan more towards his, you know, his needs, which is, hey, he needs to roll out a little bit. Hey, he might be able to pass down the field a little bit. He's a, you know, he's a playmaker. If you start to tailor the offense towards that and you start pushing the offense down the field a little bit more, right? You start spreading the offense out a little bit horizontally. You have an inline slot receiver. You have your two receivers out wide. You have your inline tight end who block and releases because your offensive line is kind of booty. 
you have a good running back in the backfield, which means that Brees Hall is seeing more snap share. And now the defense is playing against Brees Hall, who they know is a superstar. Okay, that opens up your fucking, that opens up your offense. Because now you got seven or eight in the box because we're planning on Brees Hall to do something. And now Zach Wilson gets to drop back. He has an extra protector in the tight end who can flank out at any time. He has two receivers in Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard who have advantages on the outside. Garrett Wilson's advantage is that he's an elite receiver. And Alan Lazard's advantage is that he's 6'4". Tyler Conklin is a soft-handed tight end who can work in the middle. And he, the running back can always flank out on those passing plays. And now you're giving Zach Wilson options. And you're giving him extra protection. Which gives him an extra second or two to process what's going on, you know, in the field. And with Zach Wilson, I mean, he might need that extra time to process, so that helps. But long story less long, I like some of the Jets players as fill-ins moving forward. I like Ty Tyler Conklin as a week five streamer for tight ends against the Denver offense. Or I'm sorry, the Denver defense. And he's somebody that I wouldn't mind, you know, investing a couple dollars into if I lost a David Njoku. Um, if I lost somebody of that caliber this week, whether it be due to injuries, you know, hope Pat Fryermuth can heal up soon, or whether it be due to buys, once again, bringing up David Njoku and the Cleveland Browns who are not playing this week due to a buy. Uh, but moving forward, I want to go ahead and give a couple of shout outs to my guys this week that have popped out. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, four touchdowns against the Arizona Cardinals, scored 47 points if you play in half PPR. And probably closer to 50 if you play in full. We want to give a shout out to Puka Nakua, who went crazy week four against the Colts. 28 points. He had six, nine receptions. He had his first receiving touch, touchdown of the season. So his first receiving touchdown of the season. And he had 163 yards through the air, which is crazy. And I also want to go ahead and give a shout out to David Montgomery, who popped out. You know, three touchdowns, 35-point performance against my Green Bay Packers. Don't love seeing that. Kyron Williams had another big week, which is all he does. 28 points on the ground against the Colts. Uh, he had 103 rushing yards on 25 carries, 24 receiving yards on three catches. He had a, two rushing touchdowns. He does have a hip contusion, but we, once again, kind of don't expect that to be serious. I think a, a conspiracy theorist jaw right now, both uh, both Matthew Stafford and Kyron have been hit with, like, quote-unquote hip injuries. I think both those guys might have just taken bad hits in the game, and they're just labeling it as a hip injury just to keep it general and just to give a reason to kind of give them a day off. But we'll see. And uh, shout-out to D. Henny, who got back on track this week. He's now running back 11 in his game against the Bengals. My boy had 22 carries for 122 yards. He had a passing touchdown. And a rushing touchdown. And he even had a reception. Let's go, D. Henny. Dugo loves it. And also a big shout out to Devin Achan, who is currently the RB3 as a rookie. The 5'9, 188 pound running back, who might be closer to 192 now, uh, had two more touchdowns in the week four loss against the Bills. Ran the ball eight times for 101 yards. Yo, Devin A. Chain has the potential to go ahead and be like a Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler style of running back if he stays healthy. And if the Dolphins continue to give him opportunities, this dude is like a firecracker on the field. I've never seen anything like it. He's more explosive than Christian McCaffrey. He's more explosive than Jameer Gibbs. He's more explosive than Austin Eckler. He might be the most explosive running back in the NFL. And I, and I, 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 I don't say that lightly at all. I have Devin A. Chain in a Dynasty League. I have him in a Redraft League. This dude is fucking insane with the ball in his hands. At Texas A&M, he was really great in the zone offense. That's what they run in Miami. I thought that he was a perfect fit for Miami coming out of the draft. I worried about his size because he's only 5'9". They listed his weight as, you know, like less than 190, which always makes you skeptical. But if this dude is do getting 101 yards on eight carries against a Buffalo Bills defense that actually has a pretty good front line, right? Like against the 
Against the Denver Broncos, they finally gave a guy RB1 workload with 18 carries, and he popped out for 203 rushing yards. 18 carries and 203 rushing yards. He's averaging 11.4 yards per carry as a running back. For reference, all your favorites average maybe four or five. This dude is averaging 11 yards per carry. Like, take a second to think about that. D. Henney's career best is 5.36 yards per carry. And that was in 2020 in which D. Henney finished as the number two running back in half PPR leagues. And he was the RB3 in PPR. We're talking about a guy who finishes a top two running back. Devin A. Chain has double the yards per carry in his, you know, first couple games really getting run on an NFL field. Even if he regresses, he's probably going to regress to eight, seven yards per carry. That's still significantly more than what you would expect out of some of the NFL's best when it comes to their running back position. Devin Etchan is a dog. He can catch well. He's on an explosive offense, an offense that should get ahead on a lot of bad opponent, op opponents moving forward. That Devin Etchan can run out the clock in the second half. Man, Devin Etchan, Puka Nakua, CJ Stroud, they, and Jordan Addison. I would say are three, uh, four of the rookies that I really have on my radar right now. And speaking of CJ Stroud, who's amazing, and he looks like he might win offensive rookie of the year because he's a quarterback and because he has been hella accurate and he's been tossing the ball up a lot. But Tank Dell is leading all rookie wide receivers in terms of fantasy production. And dude is explosive. He's a slot receiver for CJ Stroud, who delivers pinpoint accurate balls. And Tank Dell has the potential. I think currently he's the wide receiver 19. Next in line would be Zay Flowers, who's currently, I think, wide receiver maybe. I think he's like 41 or something like that. Oh, and there's Michael Wilson, who's wide receiver 29. So scratch that. But, like, Michael Wilson, I still like Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison, even though, you know, they didn't have the greatest weeks last week. I, I, I like Tank Dell, who's explosive. But all those guys have such bright futures. And Tank Dell is one of those receivers that is explosive. If he continues at this pace, he's going to be Tyreek Hill light. In my opinion, he's going to be Tyreek Hill light. And he's going to go ahead and have explosive, explosive, explosive games with CJ Stroud. And shout out Nico Collins, too, who's popped out. And I think he's currently the wide receiver seven in fantasy football. He's a guy who gets downfield. He plays that outfield position well. He's shaped like Cortland Sutton, but he does have pretty good hands. And I, I would say Nico Collins is more of a product of C.J. Stroud, who throws a beautiful ball, an accurate ball, one of the best balls I've seen in the NFL, straight up. I think Nico Collins is more of a product of C.J. Stroud's arm ability because we saw him two years prior with Davis Mills and you know a couple other guys. But that combination is electric. And Nico Collins is popping out. He's having games in which he's just getting in the end zone at will. And he's somebody that you got to go ahead and respect. Moving forward for Dynasty, I don't have Nico Collins as a wide receiver one. I think that'll kind of get back to normal as the season progresses. I have Nico Collins as a really strong wide receiver too. Currently with the current regime in New York, I have Nico Collins maybe slightly ahead of Garrett Wilson, which is saying a lot. I have him slightly ahead of Chris Olave currently. And a lot of that is because of the touchdown potential, because he's just a bigger prototype receiver who's actually efficient at his job. Maybe not as much so as like a Quentin Johnston or a Drake London, who I kind of told you both were kind of be, they'd kind of be average in the NFL. Yeah, that was a, that was a lazy shout out. Shout out to me. Uh, but I want to go ahead and give respect to Nico Collins. I want to give props to Tank Dell. I like that Houston Texans offense. But moving forward, I gave you guys my sleepers. I told you who I liked, who I didn't like. Uh, shout out to all the rookies who are going crazy this year. Shout out to Devin A. Chain, Puka Nakua, or I'm sorry, Devin A. Chan. Uh, big round of applause to guys like, you know, Tank Dell, Michael Wilson, who are surpassing what we expected. 
And hopefully we can get a big bounce back effort from guys like JSN and Quentin Johnston, uh, who we drafted with first round rookie draft cap that haven't really panned out. I'm not saying I told you so, but I'm telling you, you should probably wait a little bit. Moving forward, wish you guys the best. This was week five. My name is Ja. We'll be back with Dugo next week. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Good luck to you. And until we meet again, peace.